in your Bible, please, the book of Philippians. And we've been looking into the prison prayers of the Apostle Paul. We began our study of the letter of Paul to the church at Philippi back in May of this year. We arrived at verse 9, which brought us to this prison prayer. The church at Philippi had a very special place in the life of Paul. The church was the first to come forth in Europe, 50 AD. It's 11 years since that church came into existence. Paul is now in a hired home under Roman guard. They have a special place because over those 11 years, no other church has participated with him in the proclamation of the gospel like the church at Philippi. And so it isn't surprising when we arrived at verse 9 that they would have a special place in his prayer life. Verse 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. This is a prayer, as we have been seeing, of intimate insight. Paul wants the church at Philippi to have intimate insight into this performance that is theirs to bring praise and honor to the Lord. That's the only purpose for which any of us in Christ Jesus are left here, that we might be performing by the power of the Spirit of God to his praise. This was his prayer. We then took a parenthesis from our study and looked at the other prison prayers, the first being Ephesians. Chapter 1 and verse 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Here comes this prayer for the church at Ephesus. My prayer is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. 
Another prison prayer. A prayer for intimate insight. Insight into God's plan. His promised plan. A plan that has a glorious future. It's a prayer about hope. Not a hope so, a hope sure. Because we have placed our faith in him, the moment we did that, we became his beloved. We are part of the body of Christ, the family of God. And because of that, we have a birthright. We are looking forward to eternal life. Now, the moment we believed, we begin that eternal life here and now. But there is yet so much yet to be experienced. Paul's prayer was that they might have intimate insight into his plan of hope for the future, our birthright. And then, insight into the inheritance. Here's a bequeathed right. The moment we believed, we were part of the family of God. But we were a unique part of the family of God in that he placed each one of us perfectly in Christ Jesus as an adult son. He has not withheld one thing from any of us. Now in the process of walking with him, being progressively sanctified, we are experienced. We are experiencing that which he alone has provided in Christ Jesus. We walk with him as sons, adults, with all of the blessings. But yet, we still have awaiting us an inheritance. It's, it's incorruptible, undefiled, won't fade away. I, I don't know anything other than there is a waiting for you and for me that which is beyond our ability to comprehend now, an inheritance. And it's ours because of a bequeathed right. This is what he has given to us, yet to be fully experienced. We didn't earn it. It has nothing to do with what we do in this life as far as works. That's another aspect altogether in our relationship with him. We have an inheritance secure we're looking forward to. But Paul realizes that his prayer for the church there in Ephesus is also for the here and now. And so the prayer is for power. That they might have intimate insight into what it means here and now, to live by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of Christ in us. It's a great prayer. And each one of these prayers is very poignant, very personal. In Ephesians chapter 3, we see the second of the two prayers that Paul has for the church at Ephesus, verse 14, 
chapter 3, for this reason, I bow the knees, my knees, to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted, grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. A prayer of intimate insight into his person, that you might know him more intimately than ever before. And we saw how the word of God reveals the fullness, the length, the breadth, the depth, the height of the fullness of God. Elohim, almighty God. Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides. Yahweh, I am, the eternal God, self-existent through whom all things come forth. Daddy, Abba, Father. That we might, with the church at Ephesus, because it's written for the body of Christ down through the ages, might have intimate insight into the depths of his person. There is no other desire of my heart for you is not so much that you are learning. It's more that you're loving. That we together are growing in the grace and in the knowledge of him that makes us fall in love with him more and more. That's the prayer that Paul has for the church at Ephesus. It brings us to the last of the prison prayers. We began looking at the prayer in Colossians, if you'll turn there. Colossians chapter 1. And like the prayer in Philippians, it's at verse 9. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, their love in the Spirit, verse 8. Do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, intimate insight into his person, into his will. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being filled in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience, long-suffering, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. This last prayer, the last 
prayer to a church is a church of intimate insight. Intimate insight into our pleasing Him. It encompasses everything that He prayed for in the two prayers in Ephesians and the prayer to the church at Philippi. It's all about His will accomplished in us and through us. It's all about walking with him. It's all about working through him. A prayer of intimate insight into pleasing him. And we looked last week and turned back to Romans chapter 12. He is pleased when his will is being performed through us, by us. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, I beg of you, this desire of my heart, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul now desires that the church in Rome might realize, have intimate insight into what it means to be well-pleasing, to be walking in the will of God. And it begins with a presentation. It begins with a presenting of our bodies. And you remember, we looked into the scriptures concerning our bodies being not our own, Our bodies have been bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ. We don't own this body. It's his. It is the vehicle, the only vehicle in this life that we have to please him in. We are told in the scriptures That this body is the temple of God. The temple. He has come to live within us. It is his abiding place. Remember when Jesus was coming near the end of his earthly ministry. He prayed for the disciples. He uh, reminded them that he knew that they were troubled. He knew that they were concerned because he had told them he was about to leave. He was going to die. He was going to be crucified. He was coming back. He was going to be raised. But they were troubled. And so he 
reminds them that he's not going to leave those who belong to him as orphans. The Father and myself are going to send the Holy Spirit. My Spirit's going to be in you. I am going to take up permanent, forever, residence in you. You are now the temple of God. And therefore, in this temple that belongs to God in which he indwells, we surrender to him. We present it to him. A living sacrifice, and I mentioned, and I wish I could give credit to whomever said the problem with the living sacrifice is that it's always squirming off the altar. But it's in the aorist tense. This is something that we are challenged to do once for all. In our Christian life, there needs to be a time in which we come to an awareness that we are not our own. We've been bought with a price in this body, which is the temple of the of the living God is to be given to him. Never taken back once we're all done. <laughs> and it's the right thing to do. It's a reasonable service because he owns us. But while you're in this world, Lord knows, this world has all kinds of ways to draw us away from submitting ourselves, of sacrificing ourselves to him. It allures us. It attracts us. It's designed that way because sin entered in and the prince of darkness is in control under the sovereignty of God. But this world is wicked. And so he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Understand, you're different now. You're not of this world. You're in this world, but not of this, your mind. That you may prove what is that very personal, intimate, perfect will of God. Number two, Ephesians chapter five. Verse 15. Ephesians 5. See then that you walk circumspectly. Remember our cat. See then that you walk very carefully, controlled, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, 
in which is dissipation, excess, the Greek word there means riot, out of control. But, rather than being out of control, be being continually filled with the Spirit, under the Spirit's control, not Spirit's, you know, Spirit's, the Spirit's control. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Walk carefully. Because you're in a wicked world. Walk controlled by the Spirit. And allow that to be manifest in your worship. Remember the well, Jesus, with the woman? After being confronted with her sin, she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. Tell us all things. I that speak to you am he. The issue was for her to respond to who he is. She wanted to talk religion, remember? Uh, uh, we worship in this mountain. You say, you Jews, that Jerusalem's the place to work. It's important where you worship, isn't it? No. It's who you worship. It's how. God is spirit. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He is seeking out those who will worship him that way. And we mention very simply, as these verses tell us in our worship, it ought to be a worship of exaltation. We ought to be lifting him up. Most of the music of the day, that is the medium, the method by which most churches feel that they're worshiping God, music, worship of God through music is right, it's biblical, but that must be in spirit and in truth. The music should not be the satisfying of ourselves, our flesh, but the exalting of him exaltation. It's hard to exalt God when the music is designed to move you and me emotionally to satisfy our feelings. It is not only exaltation that worship is all about. It's about edification. And most music is designed as most Bible teaching is these days around you and around me. Not about him. God is spirit. 
we must worship him through his spirit in accordance with the truth revealed in his word. He desires. He is actually seeking out those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. But not only is our worship to be under the control of the Holy Spirit in accordance with the revealed truth of God, our walk, giving thanks to the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another. Music, worship, exaltation, edification, our fellowship, our walk with one another and with him under the control of the Spirit in accordance with his truth revealed. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Finally then, brethren, remember when Paul says finally, he's got at least a whole other chapter to go, right? So we're not done. Finally, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. That's his prayer for the Colossians. That you be what? Well pleasing. How is that accomplished? By walking, by worshiping in his will, by working in his will. Well pleasing. For you know what commandments, the word of God, we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. I mean, don't you love it? When the Bible says something so, so simple, so clearly, that there's no way to stumble over it. This is your sanctification. This is the will of God that you be set apart. Now, we know that there is a fourfold aspect to biblical sanctification. Before you and I ever came to saving faith, whatever our backgrounds, were, the Spirit of God was working, preparing us to respond. See, no one comes to God unless the Father draws him. And so there is a preparatory sanctification. The Spirit of God, before we ever believed, was preparing us to respond to the love of God manifests in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's a preparatory setting us apart. Then, the very moment when we are convicted of our sin, when the Spirit of God calls us to respond, to believe in Christ as our sin bearer, we are positionally now set apart unto God forever. He now sees us, not in our sin, but in 
our sin bearer. You see, so sin Christ. Set apart, sanctify. That's a positional sanctification. Now, ultimately, ultimately, our Lord is going to present us, each one of us, as part of his body, together as his bride, as the church. Perfect. That's how he's going to present the church to himself, without spot, without blemish. That is our prospective sanctification. That's what we're moving toward. We're going to be perfect together. And that's his doing. But in the process, in the here and now, there is a progressive, practical saying, this is the will of God for you. Your sanctification. Preparatory. Positional. Ultimately. Prospective. But presently. Practical. Progressive. A setting us apart unto himself. And how is that sanctification accomplished? It's accomplished through his word. But going over, let's read down a few more verses. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, that's your body, that's the old Beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of or defraud his brother in this matter. Shouldn't be involved in any kind of sexual activity that demeans who we are in Christ Jesus, who I am in Christ Jesus. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness, sanctification, set apart unto him, pure. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who also has given us his spirit. Look at chapter 5. Verse 12. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you. That you esteem them highly in love for the work's sake, being at peace among yourselves. This sanctification, which is the will of God, is a sanctification that takes place as God works in us through his word and the body of Christ. There are those who are to be esteemed, honored because of their work among you. In Hebrews, we're told that the reason those who are 
ministering to you the word of God should be highly esteemed, honored, is because they have a big responsibility. For those who do that must answer for your souls. That's why one of the first things I've been privileged over the years to ask when I've been on ordination councils, every time I think of that, I remember Spurgeon, as far as ordination is concerned, empty hands on empty heads. Uh, he was very practical. But there are all times young men who come before an ordination council who have a desire to be a preacher. The problem with that is do they understand the ramifications of that? If it's because that seems like, and you even have a desire for a profession like the clergy, there's a certain esteem that attaches itself to the clergy. One of the first things I learned about being a man of the cloth is that I'm a man of the tablecloth. <laughs> it's the only cloth that really matters. My question is, do you believe in your heart, in accordance with God's word, that you can do nothing else but be a preacher? By that I mean, do you have a passion to proclaim Christ? And absolutely nothing else. Nothing else matters. How you accomplish that may be very diverse, but it's for the purpose of the passion to proclaim Christ. If that is why you're here, We want to share with you in that. But it's an awesome responsibility. Also tells us that we're to encourage one another so that those who are being honored are honored for the right purpose. They're responsible for your spiritual well-being, for your souls. And that we together recognize we have a responsibility to one another, to exhort one another, to encourage one another, to admonish one another. Because, you see, that's how God's working through his church, through the word of God, sanctifying us. Going over to the Old Testament. Psalm. Psalm 119. And if you would like, we could start at verse 1 and go through all 176 verses of this psalm, but we won't do that. But allow me just to read, and you follow, the opening verses. Blessed 
are the undefiled in the way, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with a whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Walking in the word is the way, the will of God is manifest through us and in us. His will is inseparable from his word. Walking the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. They do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. The precepts of God reveal his person and his will. Keep his ways, his statutes. Then I will not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. It's about a relationship. Precepts reveal that relationship. I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgment. I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. See, the Spirit of God takes the scriptures, the word of God, and reveals the living word, Christ. And that allows us to do his will, walking and working for him, exalting him, edifying one another. about his word. How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. The precepts are God's provision of power through his Holy Spirit. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts. I will contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. What is the will of God? It's our sanctification. That sanctification is that God, through his spirit, in accordance with his revealed will in his word, is setting us apart unto himself. That's his will. It's inseparable from his word. Many are always trying to figure out the will of God. Well, I can tell you this. Paul prayed a prayer of intimate insight. 
to the degree that you spend time in his word will determine how much you are walking in his will. Apart from his word, can't discern, can't understand his will. But the Spirit of God takes his word, guides us, directs us to do his bidding so that we can be a vessel clean. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed unto your word. There are vessels in a home, Paul writes, and in Ephesians, some to honor, some to dishonor. Clean up the mess. Don't be a vessel of dishonor, but a vessel of honor. How? Cleansing through the word. Hebrews chapter 13. <coughs> Verse 20. Now may the God of peace reigne who brought you up, brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To whom be glory forever and ever. So as we have come, not to a conclusion, but we have come to the final prayer of Paul in prison. The other three prayers are all encompassed. But for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Can't do that apart from his word. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work. And increasing in this understanding, the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, that's the Spirit of God, with all patience and long-suffering, with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. And so... We've taken this little parenthesis and we're not done with looking into the prison 
prayers of Paul. For today, it's a prayer of intimate insight into well-pleasing. Working, walking in his will as revealed in his word. Thank you, Father, for these moments. Once again, to allow you, through your spirit, to speak to us, to our hearts. And may we, if we have never before, first present ourselves a living sacrifice. And if we have, to remember that you are bringing us along progressively by your indwelling spirit to be like Christ. And this is the will of God for us, for which we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.